0: Let's open God's Word, that precious gift, the Word of God in our own language. Open your Bibles to the New Testament, to the second letter of Paul, to the Corinthians, and chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, as we return to our ongoing series from this letter, taking it bit by bit. We started chapter 7 a couple weeks ago, and then had our week of prayer speaker, and now we are at Chapter 7 and verse 5. As you're turning, let me uh, give a warm welcome to those who are watching at home. We really miss uh, you, those that we know that are watching. Thank you for uh, checking in now. We're watching the video of the sermon later. May God's word bless you and keep you. We pray for you by name and we invite you back as soon as possible. And if others are checking us out perhaps for the first time, be in touch with the church and let us minister on God's behalf to you. The passage we're reading begins in chapter 7, verse 5, through the uh, end of the chapter. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a a while, as it is. I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice, because I have complete confidence in you. Thus far we read in God's holy word. May he bless all who hear, believe, and obey it. Amen. Amen. This is a a long passage and part of the action of the passage turns on the visit of Titus, the return of Titus. When you think of uh, homecomings or connections, uh, those are wonderful and sweet times, are they not? One of the things I remember the most when I went away to college was, was the first time I was away from home for more than a few days. I'd gone to a summer camp or two. But I really appreciate, again, those letters. And you can always recognize your mother's handwriting, can't you? When the letter would come, and there might sometimes be a $5 bill inside it. That's a story in my family, a fiver from Grandma. It seemed to me later on when I read the Proverbs that it was fulfilling Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-five, a number you can't forget. Uh, like cold water to a thirsty soul is good news from a far country. Proverbs 25, 25 is is an encouragement to send news and to be refreshed when it arrives. That's godly wisdom right there. Even better than letters uh, from home or letters from a sweetheart. I imagine how many men in the military in in years past or even present uh, enjoyed hearing from uh, loved ones at home when they were in faraway deployments. Even better than letters is that surprise visit. We've seen it sometimes on TV when uh, there's uh, uh, an activity going on, perhaps in a classroom or a graduation, and out behind the door comes someone in military uniform to gather with their loved ones. Surprise, I'm here. And whatever is happening at the event is quickly forgotten, and the arrival of the loved one takes over. Uh, I only have a small measure of that experience. Once sitting in my office in my study, it was probably a Saturday, and open, the door opens, and one of my kids home from college, unexpected, I hadn't seen him in months, is standing in my doorway. Hey, pops. And you just jump to your feet and are encouraged and comforted by that hug and that welcome. Welcome. I I, I set the stage that way because those things happened to the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man much like us. And his heart was lifted and buoyed at the arrival of his friend and co-worker Titus. But even more so at the news that Titus brings. So in one part, this long passage of scripture will be about comfort. Comfort. But in the midst of that, one thing that gives this minister of the gospel, Paul, comfort was the spiritual contrition, repentance and restoration of these dear people in Corinth. So the sermon is also about grief and repentance. And this all works together in a marvelous picture. And my friends, this is what should be happening in local churches. This is what ministries of the word can help produce. A church family that is brought to conviction when we sin, but that is also comforted when we're together. This is how our God is working. So don't get lost if you don't remember who Titus was or where he went. And don't try to solve the past situation that Paul was writing about, the one who did the offense and the one who was offended. He doesn't even name those people. That's not as important as the reconciliation and the restoration. So we won't be looking back, whether it's, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or some of those situations, or perhaps something that Paul was the offended party by someone in Corinth. All that Paul wants to point out is that repentance worked salvation. Repentance brought forth pleasant fruits and he was comforted. The word comfort occurs all through this as we see. So let's start there. The first heading this morning is, God gives us comfort as needed. God gives us comfort as needed. How does Paul describe God here in the opening verses? He says in verse 6, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. This is our God. He's a God of comfort. Those very things were, were prevalent in the earliest parts of this letter, were they not? that God works his comfort. We'll get to that in a minute. But notice, though, that Paul needed comfort. He's referring to uh, his, his recent experiences, even when he came into Macedonia, uh, which was uh, not far. Uh, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. This is the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent by Jesus, and he has a, a pretty tough road If you're a Christian and you're wondering why your life is not a bed of roses, that's because that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not to give you comfort in this life other than the spiritual comfort and help. God does uh, not allow the righteous to go begging for bread. He has so many promises about his provisions, but it's not always about our comfort physically and the absence of affliction. We see here that believers have real pressures. Paul had real pressures. The fighting without, most likely, physical opposition. The fear within, probably his burdens as a pastor, his heartaches. So both were happening. As far as as physical pressures, you might remember back in chapter 1, how Paul mentioned uh, how sorely afflicted he was, and the language was about as bad as it can get 2 second corinthians 1 8 9 said for we do not want you to be unaware brothers writing to those in corinth of the affliction we experienced in asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death there, there were troubles for paul The Christian life has troubles and difficulties, uh, naughty problems, and you don't always see the light at the end of the tunnel. But Paul survived to write about it and to teach others what he had learned about a God who comforts the downcast. Some of his trials, too, in chapter 2, uh, Paul was sharing very openly about how much he missed Titus and he was worried. Back in chapter 2, verse 12, he said, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. They had a rendezvous set. In the ancient world, they didn't have GPS and all these things. You couldn't text, hey, where are you? Uh, did you go to the wrong Panera. They, they, they had to make plans and weeks and months would pass. And so when Paul arrives there and he's staying there, there's no word of Titus. Where is he? And if you travel on from there and Titus arrives there, how are you ever going to catch up with your friend? A real problem in the ancient world. And often delays. And so Paul was anxious for Titus. Anxious because of the ministry that they had together. So those were some of his anxieties. Anxieties. And Paul uses this phrase here of himself in chapter 7. He says, God who comforts the downcast. Was Paul downcast? Can a servant of God be cast down in spirit, discouraged? Yes. In fact, the language many believe is drawn from uh, the Old Testament picture of the servant of God. Isaiah 49 verse 13, you don't necessarily have to turn there. The wording is much closer to the Septuagint version rather than the Hebrew translation of 49:13. In the ESV verse 13 says, "There sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt O earth, break forth O mountains into singing, For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted." That's just verse 13, the promise and the encouragement. The earlier part of Isaiah 49 is about this, the servant of God who says things like, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Isaiah, the servant of the Lord. These are prophetic pictures. How frustrating it was for Jesus to come to the Jews and not see the fruit that you would expect. To be disbelieved, doubted, and opposed. The servant is not above the master. The apostle Paul tasted similar afflictions. Maybe Paul had read Isaiah 49. He said, yeah, I wonder if I labored in vain with those Corinthians. I haven't heard a thing. And Titus isn't back. I don't know. But he kept reading, got to the verse, sing for joy. And remember, the Lord comforts and has compassion on the afflicted. So Paul shares that as he writes. He's writing this, this letter to the Corinthians and he says, God comforts us in these situations. God works his comfort. And he says explicitly Uh, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us, so Paul and whoever was with him. How? By the coming of Titus. Okay, that rendezvous brought Paul great comfort. And that's how God comforts. God didn't send an angel, he just sent Titus. God didn't give them water from the rock or manna from heaven on that particular day. He sent Titus. A fellow believer, someone in the flesh who could give Paul that bear hug and, and bring the news he brought. How does God give us comfort? God works comfort through his people. And here we have to pause, and maybe you've already put this together, especially if you've been a Bible student for a long time. We're in chapter 7 of a long letter, and it was probably written on a scroll. And I should probably remind you that it was often written in stages. Paul would write or dictate and then he'd set it aside and pick it up and write and dictate and set it aside. There was clearly a stage where he had set this aside because now Titus is back, right? Isn't that what he's saying? But earlier in the letter he was anxious. I didn't know if I would find Titus back in chapter two. So he set this aside and By the time he comes to chapter 7, Titus is returned. And the things he is going to write in our passage today are different than even at the beginning of the letter when Paul had more questions. Now he has more answers. And it's a beautiful unfolding as the Lord teaches us. God works comfort through his people. I can tell you right now what one of the applications will be At the bottom of the page of the notes that we hand out, you will be encouraged with this application to comfort others in the body of Christ. To be a comfort. So God is a God of comfort. And he works comfort not only through his people, but he works comfort through the gospel. Let's see what Paul says here. Um. Comforted us by the coming of Titus in verse 7. And not only by his coming. Phew, I'm glad to see you're alive and well. Uh, where were you in Troas? Man, how, what happened there? And they, they heard the stories, sort heard of God. I'm so glad to see you. They caught up. But then there was something more that brought Paul, the apostle, comfort. Verse 7. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, Corinthians. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So I rejoice still more. You see, what Paul had done is he not only spent 18 months in Corinth and then wrote them his first letter. He had written them another letter. It's the lost letter in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And it's sometimes called the stern or the strict letter where he had to really hold their feet to the fire and now he's thinking oh that was rough so he's writing this letter as a follow up I had to do that and don't listen to those false teachers that are there he's, he's saying all the things we've been studying and now he finally hears back and that stern letter brought sweet fruit it worked we don't know what was in it how stern it was, what scriptures Paul cited. But we see the response as Titus comes, says, you know what, Paul? Things are okay back there. People are worshiping and and people are being converted. The ministry is going forward. And you know what? They long for you. They would love to see you again. They're so sad when you're afflicted and you're facing difficulty. And they're so zealous for you, Paul. They tell others what you told them. They teach others what you taught them what a great report i I would love to have someone visit me from my former church although it's been 30 some years i would love to hear something like that that they're carrying on in the faith and some even think to pray for me from time to time wow what great comforts that would be this is the way christians should be we should have one another in our hearts And send comforting words one to another and carry on with the faith as we bless one another in our lives. God works his comfort through his people but also through the gospel because what Titus is telling him here in verse 7 is gospel fruit. Paul, you're not there now, but you left the gospel there. The Holy Spirit was there. The word of God and the spirit were working. That, my friends, is gospel fruit. When people hear and believe and start living for the Lord, the fruits of the gospel, these things, respect for preachers, respect for God's word, love one for another. Those are the fruits of the gospel. So Paul's comforted. When he hears again that the gospel is working as it should. Is that how we're encouraged? Later this morning, we're going to hear from some missionaries we've supported for a long time. And when you see a missionary's newsletter or get to have a video chat with the missionary, are you listening? And when they talk about the fruit of the gospel, does it warm your heart? Do you seek first the kingdom of God? What brings you comfort? That's one of those litmus test questions to see if you're in Christ or outside of Christ. If you're in the kingdom and right with God or still on the way. If your heart is cold to the things of the gospel, if it doesn't bless you to hear about the gospel advancing, check your heart. Well, our God gives us comfort as needed. That's our first heading. Our second heading this morning is uh, about this grief that also appears in the passage. So let's look at that. We will see here how godly grief works for our good. We'll see something about godly grief and ungodly grief. And that's where Paul takes us after he shares about this comfort and and is reacting. He talks about if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it, although I did regret it when I sent it. And now that I see it's fruitful, I'm not so sorry. He's just speaking plainly. You might say, oh, he's contradicting himself. No, we know what he means. And he's so filled with joy at the arrival of Titus. The words, as it were, come tumbling out of his mouth. Inspired by the Spirit, though, and they convey to us his heart. How this harsh letter, even though it pricked, and it poked, it exposed, it did good work. And for that, Paul is thankful You see, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God bring conviction. They bring that prick and that poke. The Word of God is sharper than any two edged sword, piercing joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, we're told in Hebrews. Be careful when you pick up your Bible, it's sharp. somebody could be watching this and say, what a preacher line, don't touch your Bible, it's sharp. It is. And I've heard testimony after testimony that somebody even just flipping through the pages, dropping their eyes, are brought to conviction. This is the word of God. Living and active. The eyes of the unsaved are blind to it, but God may open their eyes, God may bring conviction through the preaching and reading of his word, his spirit who inspired this word is using this word in the world. It's interesting when Jesus was teaching in John 17, excuse me, John 16 about the Holy Spirit who would come uh, and we think of the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, we forget that one of the primary tasks of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. He's the prosecutor. He's the district attorney who's doing his job, by the way. And this is what he says. John 16 and verse 8. Verse 7, I'll start. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The warning about the Bible, be careful it's sharp. You can double that or whatever for the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes and in the... Power of God in and through his Holy Spirit can cause the blood to drain from your face and your heart to stop beating with fear and guilt and shame. If you've broken God's law, I sometimes hear people curse and use the name of Jesus as a swear in such vile ways. And on occasion, I pray, oh Lord, just show yourself to them. Like Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Be the thunder and lightning that you are. The sharp sword coming out of your mouth, as we saw in Revelation chapter 1. Lord, show yourself to those who would abuse your name and treat you like dirt. I go off on a tangent But what's happening here? Paul is writing to people who appear to be converted. He's writing to this church and he has hard words for them about sin and righteousness, do's and don'ts as apostolic authority allowed him to send to them. And as it were, it looks to us like he's preaching to them and we know that the word of God preached, the word of God made clear, brings conviction. Someone is... uh, uh, Pithley said uh, that it's the preacher's job to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So I think I've got you all covered. And, and that seems to actually be something of what Paul said in, in chapter 2 and here. Chapter 2, he used these words, For if I cause you pain, 2 Corinthians 2.2, who is there to make me glad? And he says in verse 4, for I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. He knew it would cause pain, but that wasn't the purpose. There was something beyond that. And my friends, when you read the Bible and it brings you conviction, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to bring you through conviction into a right relationship with God. Jesus came and he opposed sin. He's talked turkey to the Pharisees and the scribes. He overturned the tables of the money changers. And he said, listen, no one comes to the father but by me. Repent and believe. He said these Words to provoke our repentance and faith. He met the woman at the well and he didn't soft sell Jehovah. He said, go call your husband. What about your sin? What are you going to do? You're asking me about worship. What about your sin? Jesus speaks to bring about our repentance and our faith. The word of God has those two effects. And here, that's what Paul was doing in these letters to Corinth, and he hears from Titus that it worked. As Paul Barnett says in his commentary, Paul's primary intention was neither self-indication nor the punishment of the offender. It was rather that the Corinthians' loyalty for Paul the apostle might come into sharp focus, not for his benefit, but for theirs, that they could continue to receive from him counsel, and gospel, and help. That's what happened. Now, we need to point out here, as the passage does, there are two types of grief. Two types of grief. Do we see that here as we look at our Bible? Uh, He says in verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Hmm, don't want that. There are two types of grief, and they're clearly named. One is a good grief, and one is a bad grief. But you know, doesn't grief look similar in a lot of cases? It's kind of hard to tell. Someone's emotional. Someone is filled with tears. Why are you crying? (sighs) And they explain it. So we have to learn, may God give us help, to learn the grief of others or our own feelings of grief. Which are they? We're given help. Worldly grief doesn't seem to go anywhere. It's a death spiral, I think is what he would say. But it's that godly grief that produces something. Repentance, that change of heart and mind. And it leads to salvation. You see, godly grief isn't, isn't focused on the pain as much as uh, the broken relationship one has with God. We can make it most clear, perhaps, by talking about worldly grief. As uh, Kent Hughes says, worldly grief is a grief for oneself, centered on self, not grief for sin against God, It grieves over the consequences. It aches with embarrassment. It focuses on its own hurt. It is self-pitying to me. Oh, man, I got caught. Oh, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to be grounded. That person's experienced some emotion we would call grief, but it's over the consequences. What about the one who's caught, let's say by a parent, because I think all of us can identify with this, we say, oh, I'm sorry, I just couldn't wait till dinner. I I know you told me not to. I went in the pantry and I ate the whole bag of Oreos. This is hypothetical. (laughs) Hypothetical. And, And you're caught. What would godly grief look like in that instance where authority was applying itself to your wrongdoing? I'm sorry, I I disappointed you. I'm sorry, I disobeyed you. Do you forgive me? A godly and appropriate grief seeks restoration; seeks to be in the right, not simply out of trouble. Do you see how these griefs go? Oh man, I I, I'm going to be grounded. I don't have all these privileges. They took away my phone. They did this. They're focusing on the negatives. The old preacher James Denny, I think it was early 1900s, he wrote over in Britain, he said, it's not repentance when we discover that our sin has found us out. It is not repentance when the man who has sown his wild oats is compelled in bitterness to reap what he has sown. Later on, Denny says, he who has no sorrow for his sin has not the force in him to produce Earnest care, fear of God, longing, zeal, or the other items on the list that Paul will list. Just being sorry and feeling grief falls short unless it's a godly grief that leads you to seek God's forgiveness. And your repentance leads to salvation without regret. Do you acknowledge that you have offended God in it? Offended the adult, offending God. These are authority relationships. Paul's speaking of spiritual, godly grief and repentance. And one more thought from James Denny about the word repentance. I think it's worth underlining in this day and age where everything's about how you feel. He says, repentance is not so much an emotional as a spiritual change repentance can come out of that overwhelming feeling of grief which is emotional but repentance is the change of mind saying i will return to my father think of the prodigal son took the inheritance went and squandered it he's poor he's in the pigsty fighting the pigs for something to eat and he comes to repentance his hardship brings him to repentance he says in my father's house, there's plenty of food. I'll go back there. And he comes back humbly, seeking to be restored. That's the godly grief. And here, as Paul hears about these Corinthians, he says, I know you've got this godly grief because you've repented and, and you're walking in, in the salvation the Lord has provided. And he says, here in verse 11, seven things. We don't have time to go over all seven. He says, seven things that affirm their repentance is real. You can read the verse. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Seven things in this list. Quickly, I can tell you that earnestness means their diligence in the things of the Lord. Eagerness is the Greek word apologia. They sought to mend their ways. And I think they did that through the use of Scripture, what Paul had already told them. We know that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof for correction and training in righteousness. God's word is good for Correction and reproof. We sometimes skip over those. I just want a Bible study. I just want a happy little verse for today. Well, you know what? God's word has other purposes, and it might just be your day to be called on the carpet by the word of God. Time to change. So they had this earnestness to, to clear up these things. Indignation, that's a reference to their view of sin. They no longer like sin. Fear, longing, zeal, those are fairly well understood. And punishment, that last one sometimes dangles others. Is Paul's happy that they're uh, practicing punishment. No, it's a noun here referring to God's justice. That, for instance, church discipline works. It worked at Corinth. A brother was restored. And Paul had to say, go easy on him." But they were showing these... Fruits of true repentance. They had that testimony. Well, the third heading this morning is, is wonderful and it's quick and it's clear. It's also here in the text and it's about joy. Do you notice the word joy and rejoicing shows up all over? There is godly joy in how the gospel works here. There's first joy at the process of repenting. Where's the joy, Where joy first show up? Chapter seven, verse nine. The letter grieved them for only a while. Verse 9, as it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Paul rejoices at this process of spiritual growth, even though it's a little painful. Moms and dads, how many times have you had to administer corporal punishment or the stern word to your child? That's not pleasant. Not pleasant at all in the doing of it but in the recovery the tears of repentance the hug the moments of restoration is a beautiful thing there's joy at the process of repenting for Paul when we watch how the church should work it should make us rejoice no one rejoices over church discipline except at the very end Pray that we see it through to the end. And this is much like the angels rejoicing in heaven. Didn't Jesus tell us in Luke 15? Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They they rejoice at repenting. So does Paul. So should we. We should be careful of any root of bitterness. The opposite Well, he really screwed up big. He really needs more time to stew in it. If he's repented, guard your hearts and your minds. There's also joy at fellowship in the gospel. Paul mentions joy and rejoicing in verse 13. What's he talking about in verse 13? Therefore, we are comforted and besides our own comfort, he feels better, he says, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. What? Paul sent Titus. Maybe Titus carried the stern letter. Here you go. Read it. It's from Paul. Popular as a bill collector, maybe. Here's the letter. But what does he say? Titus comes back. Well, Paul you won't believe it I can't sit still these people are responding to the gospel they love you and they want more of your counsel they pray for you and that they were such a blessing to me says Titus who was sent to them go figure Go figure. it is joy at fellowship in the gospel I was thinking in, that Titus seems to have gotten more than he gave we you know Titus was a huge encourager to Paul, one of those guys you just love to have around. He said, maybe he can give the Corinthians some help. And Titus comes back, I got more than I gave. There's joy in Christian fellowship around the gospel. Let's pursue it. Let's be here one for another to enjoy it. And finally, joy at the fruit of the gospel. Joy at the fruit of the gospel. Uh, Paul's talking about joy again right at the end, verses 15 and 16. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. He's not only happy about the fellowship Titus experienced and that Paul can experience, but how the fruit of the gospel was evident there. Discipline had borne more fruit. It was the gospel. It was God's grace at work in those Corinthians. The Corinthians, if you remember the first letter of the Corinthians, the Corinthians that were often in chaos. They were selfish. They were off, out of step in so many ways. Paul says, what? I have complete confidence in you. Because he saw that they were clinging to the gospel. There's a parallel verse in Hebrews 12, talks about discipline, but hear how it ends. You'll know these verses. Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Uh huh. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's a, a beautiful aftertaste. So there is godly joy in the gospel that Paul mentions here. In closing, I said I had three exhortations for you, three applications. Um, First, and I want to put this first. The greatest joys and comforts flow from the gospel. The greatest joys and comforts in life flow from the gospel. Do you believe that? To be forgiven, to be so loved. Someone shared as we were talking about prayer week. To imagine that the God of the universe, almighty God, cares to listen to me pray. And cares for me. You could just see that face beam in that testimony. There's no greater joy or comfort than knowing God. My friends, that may be the big corrective of your life today. Do you know God and is he your greatest joy? Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. And to see the gospel at work one and another, the greatest joy. Life will be filled with so many temporal disappointments, discouragements. You can't outdo the world for gathering material wealth or fame. Don't even try. But how many who pursue that find it empty? Greatest joys flow from the gospel and a relationship with Christ. A second exhortation is about the work of. Of of discipline and correction, I would say spiritual correction is purposeful. Spiritual correction is purposeful for both the giver and the receiver. So when a brother in Christ, when a sister in Christ comes up to you and says, "You know, I've been praying. Uh, do you really, do you really want to pursue that hobby? Do you really?" Uh, Believe what you said the other day. When we come and try to have iron sharpening iron and have small or medium or large corrections in one another's lives. That's good for the giver of that, as we see in Paul's testimony. And it's good for the hearer of that. That applies to the big cases of church discipline, but it applies to our own hearts. And it applies when it's simply the Holy Spirit bringing you conviction. How did David pray in Psalm 51? He confessed his sins. You should know Psalm 51. And as he gets to the end, he encourages himself, even as his own heart is broken and contrite. He says, the sacrifices of God... Our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Spiritual correction is purposeful. It is good for the giver and the receiver. And finally, as I already told you earlier, the the last application is comfort others in the body of christ there is no lack of opportunity to comfort others in christ if you set out to make that your application of the sermon okay i'm going to comfort someone in the body of christ you will be busy all week this room is filled with people who need your spiritual blessing the church at large many who aren't with us today they need to hear from you They need your love and comfort and encouragement. They need to hear your testimony. How did God answer your prayer? How's God kept you? What did you read in the scriptures that blessed you? We need each other. It's a body. No lack of opportunity to comfort others in the body of Christ because God uses human agents. How did God comfort Paul that day? God comforts the... the, What was the word? Downcast? He sent Titus. God may send you this week. Are you too busy? Will you obey? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. It does expose our self-centeredness and our sin. But we thank you that it shows us, historically and by precept, that you are a God of comfort. That you do care for us and you will care for us through other believers. And that you will work our good through spiritual corrections when necessary. And you'll bring us joy, even in the midst of it. Father, what a beautiful package the word points to today. May we receive it, hear it, reflect on it. And Father, may we not only be comforted and find our joy, but may we be channels of blessing to others. And may you get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.